nobody in my family is a Christian. I'm sorry about that. Have you tried talking to them? Yeah, I was going to tell my sister about Jesus one time, and she was downstairs using the computer. So I went down and I was going to tell her about Jesus, but all that came out was, can I use the computer? I have a Bible verse about that. Would you like me to go get it? Yeah, that'd be a great help. Adrian, did you hear that Kevin just wrecked his brand new Honda? No, Oh, man, he had it coming. I knew this was going to happen. He so deserved it. He is a terrible driver. He is awful. I think it's a bunch of when he bought that car. All he did was talk about that car all the time. It was ridiculous. I'm glad. I hear you on that one, uh-huh. Well, anyway, I have that Bible verse for you. 2 Timothy 4.2 Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Okay. Amen. Hey, we're in book of James chapter one. That's right. Go ahead and turn there. Uh, let's take a look at what's going on there. The next uh, acid test, the third one, actually. But we're going to get into, Lord willing, the uh, next thing that's going on there in that third one. But let's take a look there and grab our context. James chapter one. James chapter one. And uh, let's start with verse 19 because we're on the third test there. Listening and doing. Right. Listening and doing. What's the context we saw before? That's right, Oz, the word of God, you're on the ball, is the context. It's not just hearing, it's doing, okay, is the context. Let's take a look. Verse 19, when you get there, say moo. Yeah, moo. I like that, Bobby. That's, that's like a yeah, moo. That's like a Fred Flintstone. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, moo. Okay, never mind. Let's move on. Uh, verse 19, my dear brothers, take note of this. Serious stuff. Everyone, how many? Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Why? For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Don't merely listen to the word. And so what? Deceive yourselves, he says it again there. Do what it says. Once again, as we're seeing, the book of James is one big giant acid test if you will for true christianity as the church is going out into the world finally and it makes sense because god wants his church to be out there as we talked about before we prayed uh, to be faithful witnesses not false witnesses not giving a false impression of jesus or a false gospel he wants us to be true witnesses we've already seen that that first one uh, was the issue of trials okay how are you doing in your trials that's an acid test from god if you literally walk away from jesus and i became an atheist and i'm actually if we can get that far going to get to some testimonies of that that really happens unbelievable as it is okay then obviously the bible says you lost your salvation doo, 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 doo. wrong answer okay no uh you never had it in the first place that's what the bible says because you can't lose your salvation is what's going on there so trials is one of the acid tests then we saw the next one is temptation okay what is your attitude basically what's going on here towards sin 
is another acid test. How do you know if somebody's real or not? Okay. The Bible clearly says, James says, don't let anybody, nobody on the planet, don't you ever say that God is tempting me. Why? Because to tempt is evil and God's not evil. Now he will test, which is the nature and the theme of this book, but he's not going to tempt. Okay. And testing is not evil. God tests us to get us to grow, to get us to succeed. Just like your teacher did in school, believe it or not. It was an evil, okay? And we saw there, one, uh, the reason why you want to own up to your sin is because you're given a, uh, to the non-Christian, you're giving them a, an important aspect of true salvation. In order to be saved, what do you got to do? Own up to your sin, right? Not deny, not blame it on some other people. So in order for them to get salvation correct, you and I need to uh, take sin seriously. So they will, okay? Even coming to Christ. And then where we left off a couple of weeks ago uh, was the aspect is when we're living a life separate from sin as Christians, then we're being those great uh, movie previews, if you will, of the world without sin that God is creating for us. We're being those first fruits, that first preview of the awesome future that God has in store for those uh, who become his children. Then we saw the third acid test was the issue of how do you handle uh, God's word? Okay, how do you handle God's word, i.e. the Bible and what God has to say? And that's in verse 19 there. It says, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Okay, again, the context, that's why I wanted to read down even though we're not going to get that far, uh, read down as far as I did, uh, is so we can grab the context. The context is God's word, okay? Is the whole theme that's going on here. And James says, listen, don't be deceived about this. This aspect about your attitude towards God's word. And he starts to break it down for us. This is another test. Is a, a first indicator that you're really a born-again Christian is you're going to be a good listener of God's word. As we saw in our last time, it says there, it's a, a takus. It means quick, swift, speedy, fast. This is no casual listener. This is, if you will, an eager beaver listener. This is the Christian who is absolutely eager to get to Sunday school. They can't wait to get to the sermon. They can't wait to get to class and learn more about the Bible. This is, oh, that, that's natural. Why? Because as a born-again Christian, the Holy Spirit of God indwells you, and He's the one who illuminates the holy word of god to you there's a natural desire there because you're indwelt with the holy spirit that shouldn't be surprising now what we saw was surprising is what is the uh the attitude today of the american church towards the word of god they're not eager to listen they're not lining up for it how come we don't have a full sanctuary even for sunday school we're teaching the word of god aren't we what what's the problem there people they, it's not they don't they're not eager they have excuses well, I got, I got to go clean my dog's toenails. Or you know what? I saw a piece of lint in the corner of my closet and I just can't take it. <laughs> what? Excuse me. This is the word of God. Okay? It's a natural response. I got to get in there. I got to learn more. I got to... That's what James says. How do you handle God's word? And the first thing you need to do, you need to be quick to listen. Okay? Now, we're going to get into the second indicator. And uh, not only listen... Okay, uh, is the one he breaks it down. The second one, he says, you need to be a good sponge. It's really what I see from this, uh, the phrase here. Everyone, okay, I believe it contextually, if you're a truly born again Christian, verse 19, everyone should be quick to listen. What's the second one? Slow to speak. Again, what's the context here? Slow to speak, period. 
Go and praise God for that because I can't do that very well. No. It's in the context, slow to speak to God's word, the Bible. Okay? And you know, what's he slow to speak? What do you mean? He's, when you get up here, you quote it and you have to talk. No, no, no. Thanks for asking, Debbie. That sounded good, but not quite there. Slow to speak is actually, this is a cool, two Greek words. Bradus uh, leleo. Let's say that. Doesn't that sound like a fancy Italian car? Dude, I was in Vegas on the strip and I rented this Bradus Leleo. Me and Bobby, we... No, it's not what it is. It means this, Bradus Leleo. It means slow to utter a voice or emit a sound or slow to use words in order to declare one's mind and disclose one's thoughts. Okay? In other words, what James is saying is this person, the true born-again Christian, they're not only just an eager beaver to hear the word of God. Listen, the theme of what's going on here is they are teachable. Right? And Paul says this uh, in the pastorals, First and Second uh, Timothy and Titus, he says to be to the young pastors, uh, Titus and Timothy, to be teachable. Always be teachable. This is a good quality to have, to be teachable in regards to God's word. These people, he's saying, are not doing all the talking. These people are not telling God what the scripture means according to what they believe it means. This person, the attitude is not just the eager beaver listener to the word of God. This is the person who's just the sponge, if you will. This is the person who's just sitting there, not interrupting, just soaking it up. I'm, I'm taking all this in. Do you see what's going on there? And that's why I say it's like a sponge. This person is absorbing God's word. as They're, they're quick to get there, quick to listen, but they got their mouth because I don't want to miss a drop. I'm just a sponge. That's what bradusla uh-oh means. One guy says this. He says, this is not some generic command that's telling you just to keep your mouth shut. Or, or, or just don't talk. Don't say anything in general. He says, that's not what's going on here. Okay? Slow to speak. And this is a person who's eagerly hearing every word from God. But cautiously. Slowly, patiently. And with some reluctance that they would become the speaker. Okay, James is telling them you need to listen submissively to the word of God and be silent, listen, until such time as you are prepared to speak it accurately in the right representation of divine truth. You see what I'm saying? Because we do need to speak up. And that's the funny game that, you know, Christians, we seem to go to one extreme or the, the other. You know, we'll go over there and we'll be the secret agent Christian, you know, and then somehow some uh, will never say anything. We won't speak up. We won't talk about the gospel. We won't mention Jesus. But just somehow through some spiritual osmosis, as we slide into the workplace or community or wherever, they're just going to somehow find out about Jesus. No, you need to speak up. Okay? And that's one extreme that we go to. Okay? And you're never going to know all the Bible. Hello? Because I've, I've heard this before. I remember when I first got saved, uh, a guy that I was with, he got saved, I found out later. Oh, I think it, the, almost the same week I got saved. And here it is about nine months, a year later. And, uh, and uh, I'm just sharing whatever I've learned or what I know. I, d- I don't know hardly much, but I'm just sharing. Not because somebody told me I had to. Uh, I'm just doing it, okay? And I remember sitting there with the pew, and he says, you know what, I, 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 just, I, just, I think I need another year under my belt. I need another year before I can share with somebody. I remember sitting there being blown away, going like, what? Wait a second. How about, I, I know you don't know all the Bible. You'll never know all the Bible, but how about share what you do know? Okay, so again, that's one extreme of the, uh, of the spectrum there. The other one, and this is where he's cautioned, is this is the guy who's got the big mouth, who's out there running, and they really don't know what in the world they're talking about. And I'll never forget when I, was, um, when I got saved, and I'm in Bible college, and I didn't know squat, right? 
And the only way I survived, I've shared this in my testimony, uh, when I'm in their Bible college, is eight weeks after I'm saved, I have no church background virtually, and I don't know anything. I'm here with my thumb, right here in the contents page that tells me what page is what book on. And they're whipping out the instructors, Romans, 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 you could, I fell for all the book of Hezekiahs, I fell for all, I'm looking for those, you know. I, I didn't know, right? And so I didn't know anything, but I was in there learning. Now, I came out of the New Age movement in the cold, and I felt I knew what I was talking about. And I was the big talker. I was the guy at the parties who was really kind of putting the bummer on things, and I'm wanting to talk about the deep things in life, and they're just wanting to go have fun. And I'm talking about, you know, the, the origin of life, and what is the meaning of life, and just, they're like, shut up, you know. <laughs> anyway, so, anyway, so, but I would do the talking. And I'll never forget, you know, there was that instant rush, you start learning things from the scripture, and I was wanting, you know, and I was sharing what I did know, but... I felt like, I really, I didn't hear a voice or anything, but I felt like God was saying, just be a sponge. Just, this is not the time for you to go out there. You'll get your time, but this is the time for you to just soak it up. This is the time to just, okay? And just listen, absorb as much as you can. Get this. This is what you got to understand, okay? And this is exactly what I see James is saying. This is a great attitude to have, okay? Because does anybody ever open mouth and insert foot? Because... Right? How about even spiritually? Yeah? So again, don't throw the baby out the bathwater. Don't like, oh no, I'll never speak again until I memorize the whole Bible. <laughs> no. But the other end of the spectrum, you might want to know that you know what you know before you say it. Okay? And that's the balance here. He goes on to say this. If you're going to receive the word, you must receive it with submission. That means you must listen to it, take every opportunity to hear it, having it expounded to you or explained to you. You must be slow to speak until you've come to a full understanding and can rightly represent what God is saying. Those, so those who are true believers, he says, are known by the attitude which they've received the word of God. And that is an attitude of submission is what's going on here. Submission uh, to the word of God. And I love this statement. Listen to what he says. Because remember, the theme of this book is an acid test. And we're on the third acid test. You got the trials, you got the temptation or sin. Now you got God's word. You're a good listener. Okay, but you're also a sponge submitting to it. He says this. I might question the salvation of someone who professes Christ. Just giving God lip service. He says, but I never question the salvation of someone who demonstrates an ongoing passion for the word of God and does so with the heart of submission. Why? Because that's what you expect from that, right? Of a true born again, a Christian. And this is why I think James says later in James chapter three, verse one, he says, not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers. Okay. Because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. And Lord willing, start date 19,322. We'll get there. Okay. Uh, but basically in the context of James, he's basically saying, Hey, Oh, by the way, don't be in a big hurry to be a teacher. And it kind of fits in with this good attitude of the true born-again Christian. There needs to come a point when you've got to make sure you know what you're talking about because teachers are under a double judgment. So you need to make sure that you're in a position where you're just being that sponge, soaking it up, because when you start speaking the Word of God, you better do it correctly, is what's going on there, okay? That's what he's talking about there. You've got this inward caution that holds you back. Until you really grasp it. You're a sponge, you're soaking it up, and you're submitting to whatever it has to say. Now, that's the sign, all, all that was said, the sign of the true born-again Christian. That's somebody who's uh, passing the test here. Okay? That's just, you would think, basic Christianity, right? 
You would think that somebody would want to be into the Bible and etc. as a Christian, right? That you wouldn't like make excuses, right? Here's the problem again, just like we saw with last time with it being the eager beaver and listening to it. What is the average attitude in the American church today for the word of God? That you're not just coming and listening to it and you're eager, but you're sitting there going, yeah, I'm just soaking it up. Whatever you say, God, whatever you tell me to do, even if it kind of hurts, even if it's convicting, I don't care. I want to do it. Is that the attitude we see today? No. And, and, and this, this kind of blew me away when I was, I was working with my notes is, wait a second, if that's not the attitude of the American church today, then maybe that's the problem with the American church today. I don't know the heart. But let's take it out from the individual and let's go corporately even across our nation. Maybe the problem with the American church today is the American church is flooded with so many non-Christians. And I thought about this and I thought, well, because they're failing the test. Because how many people do you know really eagerly want God's word and eagerly are submitting to it and can't wait to get to it? I'm not talking just the trials and temptation. Now with this one, man, it seems like a lost breed. And I got to think, well, wait a second. If this is really the American church in mass, now being run by non-Christians in mass, well, I know there's Christians mixed in. Okay, and again, I don't know the heart. But that begins to explain some things, doesn't it? Maybe that's why you don't see hardly any disciples. Because people don't want to be disciples because they don't know Jesus Christ. Uh, maybe that's why people in churches aren't being discipled is because the guy behind the pulpit still doesn't know Jesus Christ. That happens. Because there is a, a void. I, I, get, I had three just this week. Phone calls, emails from people around the United States just this week. I get them every week, it seems. But just this week, three. It's the same old story. Christians who are hungry and starving to death for the word of God. I, I, from all around, there's one from uh, Florida, one uh, was in North Dakota when I was up there at the conference, and there was, I forget, no, some other state, I forget where that was. All this week, it's, it's the same story. Pastor Billy, I can't, I'm so hungry, I'm starving to death. They're starving for two things, the word of God and fellowship. I, I, I can't find a healthy church in my area, and it's just so hard, and it's all this stuff. And I'd say, well, first of all, know that you're not alone. God's given us a sneak peek of what's going on with the media ministry with Get Alive. You're not alone. And it's not just America. This is happening in Australia, certainly over in Europe, Canada, all over the place. And it's all happening at the same time. And I, and I bring all that up because, because it's like, just, I don't know the heart. Right? But if the, the church in mass really doesn't want to hear the word of God, then who is really running the show? Are we prepared to deal with this? Because the church in mass is demanding not the word of God and submitting to it no matter what it says. The church in mass is demanding fluff. Or the church is only getting taught fluff. But it's coming from both angles at the same time. That's not what I see with Bradus Laleo. That's not what I see with the previous with Takus. That's not an eager beaver listener. That's not a person who's just, hey, I'm keeping my mouth. I'm not telling God what it means. I'm just soaking it up. What is it, God? I don't care if it's a spanking. I'll take it because I want. So, so and I, I thought of this. I, thought, I don't know if you guys realize this, but the church, true Christians get blamed for all kinds of things that we never did. Let me bring up one classic example of that. And that's called the Crusades, right? How many guys have heard that? Oh, you Christians, you're so horrible. 
you know, you guys were involved in the crusades, look at all that, and blah, 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 blah. And we make the mistake of, of, of going down that route and trying to defend something which is undefendable. If you've done any research on the crusades, it was horrible. It was atrocious what they did in supposedly the name of Jesus. But see, we get tricked into defending something that we don't need to defend. Because that was the Roman Catholic Church. And Catholicism does not equate with biblical Christianity. So I'm not going to sit here and defend an unbiblical thing by an unbiblical entity called the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church did that, not true born-again Christians. The Pope decreed that, not true born-again Christians. So you see what I'm saying? We get sucked into defending something that wasn't even our fault in the first place. Right? Same thing. You look at the American church and how many times you're out there, oh, the church is full of so many hypocrites and I went to this and they did this and that and blah, blah, blah. And I'm not saying even as a true born-again Christian we're perfect. Because it's the old axiom. If you find the perfect church, don't go there because you'll mess it up. And so will I and everybody else. <laughs> okay, so we know that, right? I'm not saying we're perfect. But by and large, you look at the behavior of the American church and it's so messed up. I think sometimes we get stuck into a position like the Crusades and we're defending the behavior of non-Christians. When we don't have to. It's like, yeah, you're, you know what? You're right. You're right the church is messed up. But can I tell you something? This is a... This is an eye-opener for the lost. Did you know that not everybody who goes to a church service is a Christian? And did you know that the Bible tells us in the last days this is going to happen right before Jesus came back? It's called the apostasy. And so I agree with you. Oh, yeah. True Christians don't do that. Okay? Open to your Bibles to 2 Timothy 4. Let's take a look at that passage again. And you put what James is saying here with this sign of the last days. Folks, I, it all starts to make sense to me. And again, I think that what we're doing is we're, we're putting ourselves into a, a, a false position. We're defending something that we don't need to defend. Okay? That what we see in the American church today is not from true Christianity. Okay? It's the fake ones. It's just, I don't know if we're able to stomach the truth that it's gotten so bad that they're the ones now running the show in mass. Okay? That's the hard pill to swallow. Second Timothy chapter 4. Let's just read verses 1 through 4. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach what? Word. So what's the context? Just like what James is saying. It's what? The word of God. Preach the word. Okay? And be prepared in season, out of season to what? Correct, rebuke, and encourage. Uh, oh, oh, by the way, with uh, a great patience and careful instruction. Now, notice that it wasn't just encourage that's there. What's the first two that came? Correct and rebuke. So that means if you're truly preaching the word of God, I'm, now I'm getting into my sermon coming up here in a little bit. It's the exact same theme. Okay? If you're really preaching the word of God, what should happen at least half of the time? Conviction. You're going to be correct and rebuke, right? So it's not always going to be pleasing. Right? It's not bad for you. Like when your parents disciplined you. How many of you guys yeah, mom and dad, bring it on. I love being disciplined. No. The scripture says we don't like being disciplined. But spiritually, it's for our good. Just like practically, hopefully it was as well, if it's done correctly. Okay. And uh, so that's what we see there. And he says, listen, uh, with great patience and careful instruction. Why? Because a time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Again, sound doctrine, where does that come from? The Bible, the word. Keep this in context of what we just saw with James. Okay. They're not going to put up with that anymore. Instead, to suit their own desires... Okay, they will gather around themselves a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away. Now listen, what was the last sign? Takus. 
This is a, a, a born-again Christian is going to be, oh, I can't wait to get to the Word of God. What's he going to say next? I'm going to keep my mouth shut, and I'm soaking it up. I can't wait. And these guys turn their ears away from it. Who are we talking about here? Born-again people? I don't think so. Okay? They're going to turn their ears uh, to the itching, to what they, what they want to hear. They'll turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Okay? Literally things made up. Okay? Is what's going on here. So the Bible says the people in the church in the last days are not going to want to like hearing the Bible. Okay? Let alone submitting to it. Okay? And this itching there in the Greek, as we saw in the final countdown study, is the Greek word kenetho. Now this blew me away when I first looked this up. Kenetho means, listen, itching ears. Because we all know when you preach the Bible that all of a sudden it's just like hives break out and your ears are popping. It's ah, you're itching because that's what itching ears means, right? Yeah, no, that's not what it means. That's what, I had to break that down for you. Uh, kenetho means literally to desire only that which is pleasant. Now, just take that statement and go across the American church today with the desire of the person sitting in the pew and what you're getting from the pulpit. The desire to have only that which is pleasant. That's itching ears. So Paul says, you know you're in the last days when you see, because there's two sides to this story. It's not just the pastor, so quote unquote, preaching only that which is pleasant. The context we just read is they're, they're going to take the initiative to get only those guys, to gather around themselves these guys, which means they desire it too. So they only hire guys who will only give them uh, what is pleasant. So they not only want it, that's all you get. And they demand it, and they put it in a position, that's all you're going to get. And that's created the vacuum that we have today. True born-again Christians all over the place, it's the same thing. I'm hungry for the Word of God, but I can't find a healthy church. I can't find something as simple as somebody who will preach the Word of God. That's the emails I'm getting. That's the phone. I'm three this week. Which means, I believe, we are seeing the fulfillment of this passage of Scripture. The trend in the American church today is to gut all your sermons of anything that might actually convict people. But what did we just read? In the context of even here, of the uh, apostasy in the last days, correct, rebuke, and encourage. He didn't say just encourage. And so the trend is to don't correct anybody. Don't rebuke anybody. Don't convict them. You need to coax them. Don't make them feel bad. Make them feel glad. Give them fluff and only fluff. Tell them how wonderful they are. What a great life they can have. How they can be financially prosperous. And of course, that exciting phrase, learn to be a better you. Because we all know that when you come to a church service today, it's all about giving the people a great motivational speech for the rough week ahead. Are you nuts? That's not what it is. Now, sometimes... The Word of God is encouraging. Isn't it nice to know when you come here, especially if you weren't too obedient that week, and the pastor just happened to be preaching on grace and forgiveness? Yeah. And you leave here encouraged. Woo-wee, thank you, God. I was feeling like a slime ball. Woo-wee, right? You get encouraged. I'm not against that. But sometimes, you've been a slime ball all week spiritually, and he comes and your pastor's preaching on the wrath of God or sin and what Jesus died on the cross to forgive us. And, say, and that convicts us. Is that bad? No, that's good. Because God's getting us on the straight and narrow. As we're going to see with the sermon here uh, coming up, all his commands are for our good. And so if we're straying from his commands and he loves us enough to tell us the truth, even if it hurts, 
it gets us back on the way of good, which is for our good, right? But that's not what we see today, okay? That's what you expect from the true Christian to be eager for that. I don't care if it's convicting or encouraging. I want it all. I'm just soaking it up. Uh, but this is what is going on. These people in the American church, they're not doing the listening. They're doing the exact opposite. They're the ones doing all the talking. In fact, it's gotten so bad that, listen, they're not the one who's being teachable. They're the ones demanding what to be taught. Do you see it? It's the exact opposite of what you would expect, okay? And what they're demanding is only fluff, okay? And let me give you just a few of those examples of just how bad it's gotten, okay? I've shared some of these before, but in the context here, this is how bad the church is. And again, I, it, this is what hit me the last couple of days in my notes. I really am starting to think that we're making a mistake as true born-again Christians. And we're trying to defend non-Christian behavior, when we need to say, you know what, you're right. The church is messed up. But can I tell you something? Not everybody who goes to a church service is a born-again Christian. I don't know the heart. But the Bible says this kind of messed up church that we're starting to see now is a sign Jesus Christ is coming back. And we better get motivated. I, I don't want to defend non-Christian behavior anymore. Because I don't think I need to. If anything, I think God's given me a platform to agree with them. Not deny it, because it is happening, right? And saying, yeah, you know, you're right. It isn't messed up. Isn't that so hypocritical? Isn't that horrible? That's all. Ugh. But can I tell you something? That's not true Christianity. Can I tell you something? That's not what a real Christian does. Uh, we're not perfect. Now, I'm not perfect. But by and large, that's not the... No, 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 no. This is what true Christianity is. Let me tell you about Jesus, right? And so God's given us, I think, an opportunity to identify with what even our world sees. Okay, well, let me share with you how bad it's getting. You tell me now, remember the context here is Takus, eager beaver listener. Everyone should be quick to listen. I can't wait to get to the sermon. Okay, and then now add it with what we saw today. Slow to speak, bradus let leo. Okay, and, and so I'm just, I'm soaking it up. I can't, I, I can't get enough. Just give it up, bring it on all that I, ooh, I'm taking my time. I'm keeping my mouth shut. I want to get everything, every last drop. That's what you expect from the true born again Christian. Now, here's what we have today. <clears throat> Did you know you can go to the drive-thru church? Huh? This is awesome. Believe it or not, there's a new drive-thru church in uh, Iowa where services only take five minutes. Huh? Remember, quick to listen, just absorb. <laughs> okay, it only takes five minutes. You don't even have to get out of your car. Right? Robert, that new truck you bought, you don't have to worry about spilling, you don't get in the, You just stay there. Just roll the window down. That's all you got to do. Just park up a, a pull up in the parking lot, says Reverend Rich Hendricks, and suggest uh, uh, some humor in the offerings with the congregants. Uh, uh, the people outside the cars will be dressed uh, in uh, fishing gear and fishing outfits. And in fact, everyone will be given communion. Now, remember, this only takes place in five minutes. Okay, uh, and you get communion, but it's specially delivered in a tackle box with a clean bait cup. Now, I appreciate that because I don't know about you, but I hate dirty bait cups. And it just ruins the moment. <laughs> a station will be set up for an in, informal church choir. And those interested, you, you may get out of your truck there, brother. You may, if you want to. You don't have to. Um, if you want to sing with this informal choir. Participants will also take home a special gift in the form of a brightly colored fish keychain. To add to your accessories. To remember your five minutes. Of what? Excuse me? So somebody comes up, Pastor Billy, 
you know, I'm not a Christian and I can't stand you guys because I actually saw that you guys, you say you love Jesus and you got these drive-through churches. It only takes five minutes and you take communion out of a bake cup and you get this nifty keychain. I'm not even a Christian. I know how ridiculous that is. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I just... No, I'm not defending that anymore. Yeah, you know what? You're absolutely right. I fully agree with you. That's a bunch of baloney. That's not what true Christians do. Do you see my point? Just like the Crusades, I think we've got sucked into defending something we don't need to defend. Okay? Let me give you another one. The Clown Communion Church, okay? That's right. This is an Episcopal church in New York City. And not only has a clown performing communion services, but the congregants are encouraged to dress up as clowns themselves. Looking like refugees from a Ringling Brothers uh, and Barnum and Bailey Circus, the Reverend James Herbert Cooper encouraged the parish family to come to church, quote, in clown dress, big hats, uh, floppy shoes, and some other foolish garb. In fact, he encouraged those watching on the internet uh, to also be foolish enough, if you will, to put on some white face paint or some grease paint smile as we, quote, worship God and learn about the structure of communion by being the circus which came to town to church on that day. And after the offering was taken, the people responded with their noisemakers. You're not getting it. This is, this is awesome. Who wouldn't want to go to a clown church? This is amazing entertainment, folks. This could take off like wildfires here in Vegas. If we do clown church communion, you realize how much this church will grow? As goopy as that is, that's the rationale for church services today in mass. It's not about this. It's not about preaching this, whether people like it, lump it, leave it or not. It's about doing what it takes to give them fluff, whatever their tickling, uh, itchy ears, only pleasant thing, give them good entertainment, and you jack up the numbers. And what you're seeing is the pulpits that do preach the word of God is going down. Okay? That's what's going on. So when somebody comes up to me or to you, hey, you Christians, you're a bunch of hypocrites, man. I can't stand you guys. I'll never become a Christian. Because did you know that, I mean, this is so, this is blasphemous. I even know this is a non-Christian. That there's this church out there that has everybody dressed up like a bunch of clowns, literally, and they do communion and clown, and they're out there. And so our appropriate response to that is, I'm so sorry. You know, we Christians, we're not perfect and sinners. No, I'm not defending that anymore. I'm going to be right there and say, you know what? You're absolutely right. I've seen the same thing. It's atrocious. It's horrible. But can I tell you the good news? That's not true Christianity. Let me tell you about Jesus who died on the cross. Let me tell you about the relationship we can have with him. And he didn't die just so we could stand around and go, Bzzz. let me give you one more. And this one is, I, it's just wild. The porn movie church. Uh, the People's Church, formerly known as the First Baptist Church in uh, Franklin, Tennessee, recently achieved national attention by hosting an event they called Porn Sunday. Uh, believe it or not, they actually showed an R-rated film uh, entitled Missionary Positions to the alleged uh, to allegedly help those addicted to pornography. Uh, one of the makers of the film said, we can't keep up with the amount of requests to do these Porn Sunday things. So we're doing a National Porn Sunday. And one of the folks that was at the event uh, uh, said, quote, it was one of the best days ever in church. Okay, let me put this together. Uh, for some reason, me personally, I don't know, maybe I'm just being hardcore, but I don't think Jesus came all the way to heaven uh, and died a horrible death on the cross just so we can sit around and celebrate porn Sundays. And I understand that that's a struggle uh, for folks, and I'm not saying that we can't help them out in that. Okay, and that's a whole other topic. But that? 
That, that's, so, so somebody comes up to you and says, you know what, you, you Christians, you're a bunch of, you're a bunch of crazy hypocrites, man. There's, I mean, you guys are so bad off now. I'll, I'll never join a church again, okay? Because you guys, are, you guys are doing porn in the church. And so what do we say? Oh, I'm so sorry. Would you please forget? No, I'm not doing that anymore. You're absolutely right. That's egregious. That's horrible. That's blasphemous. That's not true Christianity. Can I tell you what true Christianity is? Come here, let me, let's talk. I'm glad you brought that up. We don't need to defend that. Uh, I don't have time to go into the can-can-dance church, the hiss-like-a-snake church, the squeal-like-a-pig sh- uh, church, the moo-like-a-cow church. That would be tempting, but no, don't do it. The ba-like-a-sheep church, the bark-like-a-dog church, the roar-like-a-lion church, and the uh, chicken church. I'll kick this one. Uh, this church service, uh, the minister, he doesn't preach another boring sermon. That's not good entertainment. Uh, he stands around, literally from the pulpit, clucking like a chicken. Yep. What Jesus died on the cross for. Oh, and I, I brought this one up on the final countdown. The Toking the Holy Ghost Church. This is some serious good entertainment. Now remember, as I'm going, I'm ripping through these. This is what's happening across the American church. When people go to the American church service as a non-Christian, whatever, or just people in mass, this is not only what's going on, this is what people are demanding. Right? We know it's a fulfillment of 2 Timothy 4, but this is what's going on here. And again, what's the context of our study? This is the absolute crazy polar opposite of being a Taku's Christian, quick to listen, eager to be, I can't wait to get there, and Bradus Laleo, I'm just soaking it up. I don't care if it's good, bad, ugly, I, I, correct rebuke. I don't care, encouraging, training, and righteousness. I want it all. I'm keeping my mouth shut. I'm just soaking it up. And now they come to church services for this. Um, the guy, he explains it. He said, uh, toking the ghost is simply putting your fing- fingers together in the form of smoking a joint. But instead of smoking an illegal substance that's harmful for the body, you're inhaling the Holy Ghost with the access point of putting your fingers together and looking like you're just looking like you're uh, smoking a marijuana cigarette. But in fact, you're receiving an impartation from Almighty God. He says, I challenge you today that toking the ghost is an idea from the Holy Ghost to disturb religious strongholds. You know, people who want to preach the Bible. Uh, to disturb religious demons, to destroy religious spirits from hell, and to get the church into the freedom and laws of liberty in Christ Jesus so that you may do two things, glorify God and enjoy Him. I firmly believe that token the ghost, uh, and it's like having a little Jehovah Wana. Take a little... <laughs> take a little whiff of the glory and then a quick exhale and quote, there's no high like the most high. You wonder why I'm getting the phone calls and emails now every single week, virtually? And now multiple ones every week? Pastor Billy, I can't find a healthy church anymore. I am so hungry for the Word of God. Nobody's teaching the Bible anymore. Why? Because we're in the last days and Jesus Christ is getting ready to come back. Okay? Which means if these people are doing this, and they are, here's the bombshell. This is why I'm going, are we prepared to swallow this? We know, I believe... That we're in the last days, right? And we know that one of the signs in the last days is the apostasy. Are we prepared to believe this though? I don't know the heart, but based on James' acid test, if this is the bulk of the behavior of the American church and they're failing James' test, are we prepared to believe that the majority of the American church now is being run by non-Christians? See, that's the bombshell. That's what was hitting me when I was doing this. 
Okay? Because this is going in mass. Okay? It's absolute blasphemy. Now, very quickly, I'll just give you a couple examples. Uh, and I've shared these before. And again, it's not just the people sitting in the pews demanding this kind of stuff. It's the people's behind the pulpit. I wish I had more time to go into you. I've got actual testimonies back with the seminary and other pastors I've heard of their encounters. But just because you're behind the pulpit doesn't mean that you're saved. And I think there's a lot. Of, I'm telling just as bad as the American church, I think, is now being run by non-Christians. And we're defending non-Christian behavior. Don't need to do that anymore. It's our privilege to tell them what true Christianity is and looks like and behaves like, by and large. I really think that the American church is gutted with a lot of people behind the pulpit who don't know Jesus Christ. One guy's Wes. He's a, he said he lost his confidence in the Bible while attending a uh, liberal Christian college. He says, I went to college thinking Adam and Eve were real people. Now he no longer believes that God exists. Uh, his church members do not know that he's an atheist. But he explains that they're somewhat liberal themselves. Um, they don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead literally. They don't believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. And they don't believe in all those things that would cause a big stir in churches. What? Rick, he's another guy. Yeah, he was an agnostic in college and, and seems to have lost all belief by the time he graduated from seminary. Uh, he chose to be ordained in the uh, United Church of Christ because, because it required no forced doctrine. But even before he graduated seminary, he says, I, I'm not going to make it in the conventional church. He knew he couldn't go into a church and teach his own views because he doesn't believe all this creedal stuff. He said, uh, uh, these are my people and this is the context in which I work. These are the people I know. And his pulpit, his mode is, listen, this is what he does. His mode is to talk as if he believes because, quote, as he says, as long as you're talking about God and Jesus and the Bible, that's what they want to hear. But you're phrasing it in a way that makes sense to them. But the language is ambiguous and could actually be interpreted in many ways. See, you could, see, you could say God, but that's a generic term nowadays. What God are you talking about? The Hindu God? You're a God? The New Age God? The pew is God? What God? The environment's God? Mother Earth is God? Right? Just saying God doesn't mean nothing. Okay? But that's another guy. Uh, another guy, uh, let me just, uh, we've got to move on. John, he's identified as a Southern Baptist pastor. Ooh. Uh, he's uh, served uh, primarily as a worship leader. And he's a, he was attracted, was attracted to Christianity as a religion of love. But his pursuit of Christianity, quote, brought me to the point of not believing in God. He explains, I didn't plan to become an atheist. I, I, I didn't even want to become an atheist. I just had no choice, if I'm being honest with myself. Well, it says here, he's clearly not being honest with his church members. He rejects all belief in God and all Christian truth claims out of hand. He's a determined atheist. And unbelievable, this minister, quote unquote, admits that he only stays in ministry because of finances, but he names his price. Quote, if someone said, here's $200,000, he said, quote, I'd be turning in my notice this week because then I could pay off everything. Behind the pulpit, right now, preaching the sermon. What kind of sermon do you think you're going to get from an atheist? All right? I just got to give you one more. Uh, this guy... He says this, uh, uh, Adam, he's in uh, Church of Christ, and there's a whole other issue there. But he said, after years in ministry, he began to lose all theological confidence. He's moved fully into atheist mode, yet he continues to lead his church in worship. How? Listen to how this guy manages. He's an atheist. Anyway, he says this. Here's how I'm handling my job on Sunday mornings. I'm not making this up. I see it as play acting. I see myself as taking on the role of a believer in a worship service and performing. 
This atheistic agnostic stays in ministry because he likes the people and he says, I need the job still. He says too, if he had an alternative source of income, he would take it. He feels hypocritical, but he no longer believes that hypocrisy is wrong. (laughs) Behind the pulpit. I'll say it again. Are we prepared to, number one, stop defending non-Christian behavior? And number two, are we prepared to stomach the truth that probably the American church now, the reason why it's so bad off, is because the apostasy has been going on for so long and has flooded the church so bad that the American church is being run by non-Christians. That's pretty wild. Okay? Uh, Gilbert Tennant, he said this about phony preachers, 1739, Puritan guy. He said, if they will not remove themselves from the ministry, they must be removed. If they lack the integrity to resign their pulpits, the churches must uh, muster the integrity to eject them. Why? Because they're apostates, they're phony. You've got to get them out of the church. Because that will spread downhill and begin to infect other people, okay? But again, that's assuming that the church is being run by non-Christians. I don't see, I don't see it. This is not bradus leleo. This is not an attitude of being a sponge. This is not somebody who's eagerly submitting to the word of God. Uh, they're, they're not the ones who are doing the listening. They're the ones doing all the talking. They're the ones who are not just soaking this up. I'm teachable. I'll take whatever you got. They're the ones who are demanding what to be taught. And what they want to be taught nowadays is not this. But see, that's the dilemma. It's, it's supposed to be a Christian church service. And you all know when you go to a church service that you've got to have something coming from up here, right? That's what you pay the guy for. But people don't want that anymore. So he gets up here, and it's all about pop psychology. It's all about self-help, self-esteem. It's all about practical things, about learning how to be a better you. That's how bad it is. Okay? One guy says this, and I think if, when I read this, if this rings true, I think it rings true with the true born-again Christian. Okay? He says this. He says, It grieves me to say that for the most part, the modern Christian, the modern pastor, the modern church, has lost their savor. Taken as a whole, we've lost our inner character, the ability to resist decay and preserve the land. Our churches are no longer places of respite from the world. They are mirrors of it. Why? Why does the church look so worldly? Could it be because the church in mass is now being run by the world? And again, we don't see that or we're not ready to receive that. And so we defend non-Christian behavior. They're mirrors of the world. We've got the same dress, the same attitudes, the same carnality, the same spirit, the same stubbornness, and the same pride. You know what James would say that? You know what he would say to that statement right there? If that's what's going on in your church or the church or whatever? You failed the test. You're fake. Right? Okay. Churches are no longer bastions of truth. They're glorified social clubs or mere corporations where Christianity is never allowed to interfere with business. Instead of being watchmen on the wall, the pastors are CEOs or even worse, they're politicians. Popularity and personal ambition far outweigh the commitment to the truth. We got a pandemic all right, but it's not the swine flu. It's a pandemic of spineless Christianity. Parents who can't stand up to their own children. Pastors who can't stand up to their own congregation. Religious leaders who can't stand up to politicians. And churches that won't stand up to an unconstitutional government. If one's looking for someone to blame for America's demise on, don't look at the prostitutes. Don't look at the drug dealers or the crooked politicians. Look no further than the doorsteps of America's churches. While the ominous clouds of oppression and tyranny boil overhead, our churches are content to play kid games and wallow in their own materialism and laziness. And sadder still... 
is the lack of anything on the horizon that points to any kind of spiritual awakening. Look at the churches that are growing. For the most part, they're the Joel Osteen and the Rick Warren variety, where conviction has been replaced with compromise and principle with popularity. And genuine Bible prophets are now occupying pulpits where hardly anyone attends. Truth has been replaced with entertainment. Calls for repentance are drowned out with the clamor of prosperity. He says, I can tell you from personal experience that in more than 34 years of gospel ministry, it has never been harder to continue to carry the torch of truth than it is today. It takes toll on one's physical health, emotional being, and even on your family. Listen, he says, any pastor desiring to carry the torch of truth today need not expect to have many friends. And any evangelist desiring to carry the torch of truth today need not expect to get many meetings. Why? Because truth today is about as popular as a bad case of measles. And yes, I mean among today's professing Christians. Wow, that sounds like an accurate depiction of what's going on. Anybody? Professing Christians. Well, if they're a Christian, what do you expect from a Christian? What does James tell us? Well, number one, you're, you're going to go through trials, but you're not going to walk away from God and you're not going to just be whining and complaining all the time. You're going to have a constant joy. Uh, number two, you got to, you're serious when it comes to sin. You're not blaming other people. You certainly aren't blaming God. You're owning up to it and you want to live a holy life because you want to give people a positive advertisement for true salvation in Jesus. Oh, number three, and your attitude towards the word of God is, hey, listen, you want the truth. You don't want fluff. You're sick and tired of the fluff. You're like the people I get phone calls every week. I'm sick and tired of the fluff. Can I get some food now? I, I want some food. Can somebody give me some food? Where can I find some food? Do you know anybody even within 100 miles that I can drive to? To get some food, you want the truth. You want to be a sponge. You're ready to be a sponge. But you can't find a church that'll give it to you. That's the problem that's going on here. A true Christian will do what it takes to make themselves available uh, to the Word of God. A true Christian, James said, listen, is not like what we just saw. This is a person who hides God's Word in their heart. They chew on it. They delight in it. They rejoice in it. They're consumed by it. They set their hearts on it. They hold fast to it. They keep it. They obey it. They love it. They long for it. They're teachable. They keep their mouth shut because they're so in love with God and His Word. They want to get every last drop of it. And when they share the truth of God, not fly, they want to make sure they get it right. Can I tell you what I just described to you? Basic Christianity. That's basic Christianity. But it's gotten, it's gotten so bad that I had to just define basic Christianity. James did it for us. The abnormal in the church the apostasy has been going on for so long that the abnormal has become the normal. And basic Christianity is now looked upon as that which is abnormal. Can I tell you something? We've talked about this before. We're going to be moving into stage two. Stage true is the abnormal is now running the show. Now we need to do something about these other people. Persecution is coming. And I'm starting to hear those kind of comments. Pastor Billy, I was thrown out of my church. Because they told me, listen, to keep my mouth shut. But not in the context of what James says. But because I was just asking, could you, could you preach out of the Bible? And I was the bad guy. I was the troublemaker. Because I just wanted the Bible. That's what I'm starting to hear now. It's not just I can't find a healthy church. 
It's I'm getting kicked out now. And I'm the bad guy. It's exactly what we said. And that's why James says, listen, this is no small issue. If that really is the person's attitude, uh, I don't want to hear the Bible. I make excuses for the Bible. Maybe I'll show up, maybe I won't. I'm really attracted to that drive through church service. I can't wait to get that fishing you know, thing in and that bait cup, as long as it's clean. Okay. I, I, James says, listen, what, are, you, are you kidding me? Listen, don't you understand what's going on here? It's what he keeps, this, the, the same theme he keeps bringing up. Don't be deceived. Are you nuts? You really want to have there? You, oh, you're in the camp just like Judas. Oh, you're right around there. Oh, you're going to the church services, whatever they are. Oh, you've been, you've been going for 20 years. Hey, you might be behind the pulpit. But are you really prepared to not take this seriously? Take note of this, he says, in our context. Don't be deceived. I mean, if this really is your attitude that you could give a rip about the Word of God, you don't want to listen to the Word of God, you certainly don't want to submit to the Word of God, and you're the one telling God what you want to hear, and it's not the Word of God. You really want to stand before... You really want to risk that? And stand before Jesus Christ one day, and you've been in hell, and He raises you up at the right, uh, great white throne judgment, and sit there and go, Lord, Lord, what, what if I... Lord, I was a deacon... Lord, I was a pastor. Lord, I was I went to church services for thirty-five years. What have I been doing in hell? I mean, I mean, we we cast out demons in your name and performed miracles, and we did all this stuff. Away from me, you evildoers! I never knew you. You were fake. You didn't want my word. You didn't want me. You didn't want to have nothing to do with me. You did your own religious thing. You were fake. Don't. Be deceived. Not only how you handle trials, not only your attitude towards sin, but your attitude towards the Word of God could very well reveal your spiritual condition. You can fool me, but you can't fool God. And I think that's one of the most merciful statements from James here that we keep seeing. Don't be deceived. Please, this is not a game. Your eternal destiny is on the line here. We're not saved by our works. We know that. But if these are starting to stack up and you're failing them, it's not looking good. You need to come to the real Jesus. Amen? Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries. And I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? 
Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay, how many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, We've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, It could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, That means that we're a thief. Okay, the Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy, okay? And folks, let's be honest, we've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you, That if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that and it's just as bad. He knows the mind, he knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God, and you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, The Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, In life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, The courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. 
Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a of death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it and they can't earn it. If he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.